everyone, welcome to the Engage and Equip podcast, where we engage with culture and equip the local church in faith and ministry. I'm Ashlyn Phelps, the Communications Coordinator at High Point Church. During our current sermon series, The Next Good Thing, this podcast will feature interviews by Nick Gibson, our lead pastor, with different people each week to help us clarify the spiritual sickness we're grappling with right now. These people will take us one step deeper in our understanding of our emotional and spiritual need. Today, Nick is interviewing Mike Woodruff, Senior Pastor of Christ Church in Lake Forest, Illinois. Mike is another pastor that Nick talked to in preparation for The Next Good Thing, and he's here to share his perspective with us. As always, if you have any questions or feedback, email us at podcast at highpointchurch.org. Also, we'd love to hear your story of how God is transforming you and healing you during this series. You can email that to us as well at podcast at highpointchurch.org. Thanks for listening. Hey, welcome everyone. We're here today with Mike Woodruff. I was a uh, intern and then I was an assistant um, youth pastor at his church years ago. And Mike has had a continuous ministry at Christ Church Lake Forest for 20-ish years. Is that right? 20. I'm in my 21st year. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, when I, I, a month or so ago, I interviewed four or five pastors around the country about how they were dealing with and what they were experiencing and expecting in the COVID malaise or vortex of 2020. And my interview with Mike was really helpful. And so we've invited him on today to discuss some of the things that we talked about and let him explain them a little bit more fully to everyone. So you ready, Mike? I am. So uh, one of the things we talked about was you said that Tim Keller said a while back that um, he learned from people in Oklahoma that about about six months after a ongoing, very strange change in people's lives, people just start burning out. Yeah. Yeah, we had a guy, so I, I heard this, Tim, um, Dr. Keller published uh, a piece or had a podcast, I can't remember what, but I picked up uh, early on, so this is probably early March, he did something, it was just sort of a heads up, you know, that burnout comes in about six months, and he said that someone had notified him that this would happen, and he said, he sort of dismissed it, but then, um, you know, someone said this after 9-11, they said, hey, you're, you, need to, you need to prepare because uh, everybody, especially pastoral, pastoral staff, are putting in long hours. There's a lot of emotional output and burnout is going to happen in six months. He dismissed it. We had a guy on our, uh, at our church who had been a pastor for one week in New York <laughs> at a small church about three blocks from the towers. So Everyone in this church had somebody that they knew, either family member or someone they worked with who was killed in the Twin Towers. And he said he was there. He'd only been there on staff, you know, less than a month. And he said, yeah, the burnout was real. He said, we loved the first five months of things. You're seeing people come to faith. Lots of stuff was going on. Ministry was going on. And he said, and then we all sort of crashed. Yeah. So one of the things you and I talked about was you said this this thing to me, I found very helpful. You said, um, in a few months or in a month or two, your congregation is going to need an energetic, non-anxious presence. Can you say a little bit about that? Because I imagine, I didn't think I told you this before we started recording, Mike, but like, you know, this is like small group leaders, pastors, church members, people leading families, people in business. It's kind of a spattering, but it's church, it's church leaders and people who have responsibilities. So like, right. what, what does that mean for them? What does that mean for me? Yep. 
Well, I think there's two things there. One, and I think I, I mentioned this. I'm, I'm not a, um, you know, I, I doubt you are as well. I'm not a huge Joel Olstein fan, but I'm aware that 40,000 people uh, show up every week at his church and many hundreds of thousands more tune in. And he is, he is essentially telling them they can do it and offering hope. And that's not mm-hmm. really my my style, but I am aware, and I've been told by, you know, Gordon McDonald said, look, if you're pastoring in the North in, in January and February, you just better bring some energy because people are getting tired and it's dark. And you know. so there's, there's a sense of bringing some hope and encouragement. And then secondly, not panicking in the midst when everybody's getting down and cranky and short, you know, to just be that person that says, yeah, hey, I know you're frustrated and you're tired and you're taking cheap shots at me. And I'm not going to swing back. I'm going to be a calming, stable. The gospel is bigger than this. The tomb is still empty. We're going to get through it. And to just bring that sense of reminder and encouragement to people. Yeah. Um, when we talked before, one of the things you talked about was in First Samuel 36, um, there's this place where things are going really, really, really bad for David and there's nobody there to pick him up or to give him energy yep. or be a, non, a non-anxious and energetic presence. And you said that that passage was really helpful for you. Could you maybe share a little bit about that? Yeah. Yeah. So David is, uh, this is when David is running from, uh, from Saul and he ends up sort of as a vigilante. It's that period. So he's got a bunch of, you know, tough, uh, you know, roughnecks that are, they're sort of, they're sort of mercenaries. The French, the French mercenaries, they're for hire. They're doing different work. So you can imagine it's a rough crowd and they go out on a mission. And when they come back, their families have been kidnapped. And it says that the, everybody sort of turns against David. And it says, uh, David encouraged himself in the Lord. And then he sort of steps forward and they take off and they go and they they get their families, everybody back. And he turns it around. And I've, yeah, I've just sort of reflected on that. It was probably two, three years ago. So it was before COVID. Just remember looking at that and feeling like as a leader, and I'll say as a senior leader, not, not in terms of power, but I'm now 59. As a senior leader, there wasn't a lot of people I could keep looking to. I needed to, I needed to be the guy that could bring that for other people. And so I just, I spent a lot of time reflecting on what does it mean to be able to encourage yourself in the Lord? Like, and I, I changed probably two years ago, I changed my morning routine because I felt like the best thing I could do for the church was to be right with God selfishly. I had to, I really had to prioritize my own spiritual well-being and I had to be able to leave my devotional time in that sort of hopeful, non-anxious, I've got this, the gospel's good news. And so I'm going to take a lot of hits or I'm going to be in a lot of frustrating meetings or other people are going to come to me and need stuff. I've got to be the one that can backstop this and encourage myself in the Lord. How how transferable do you think that is for people in very different, like if, if you're like a manager in a company, you're a dad, like, yep. do you think that those principles transfer pretty directly? I, I think so. And I think, I mean, I don't, I know this is perhaps not Christianity 101, uh, 
maybe it's 201. Uh, I've got another, so I'm looking at, I'm sitting at my desk in my home, my study, and I've got a piece of paper tacked to the wall in front of me uh, with Psalm 143.8. It says, let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love. For I've put my trust in you. Show me the way I should go for to you I entrust my life. And I look at this a lot of mornings and uh, let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love. I feel like I have to leave here knowing God loves me in spite of who I am. The gospel is true and that changes things. And, and so I think lots of people can do that. And by the way, I have another thing, and I, I've been handing out, I guess this isn't video, so it doesn't matter, but for the last few years, I've been handing people <laughs> mason jars, and the mason jar has got, uh, d- got mud in it. I got it actually, the initial, the initial mason jar I got from, uh, from the Mississippi River. I filled it up with Mississippi River water. And I did it because uh, my, my youngest son was working at the University of Iowa, and his roommate he was a student at University of Iowa, and his roommate worked at the water treatment plant. So I asked this, this guy, this roommate, I said, so what's, what do you do? I mean, what's the water treatment plant? And I mean, I can see it. It's this huge building right next to this river in um, downtown Iowa City. And he says, well, he goes, there's a huge pool there. And he goes, so I go overnight because I open these valves and all this water comes rushing in. And he said, uh, and then I close the valve and he goes, and we let it sit for two weeks. And he says, everything settles down to the bottom. He goes, the water gets really clear. And he says, and then he goes, I go over here and I open this valve and the water goes out and you drink it. And I said, wait, 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 wait. What about like carbon filters and reverse osmosis and chlorine and all this other stuff you're going to put in there to, you know, to kill everything? He goes, yeah, we don't do that. And I said, so you just let the water sit. And it, it struck me that he goes, you know, the water gets really clean. Now, hey, when I go to Iowa City, I buy bottled water, just for the record, because I am hoping here in Lake Rock, <laughs> they're using carbon filters and reverse filtration and everything else. But so I, I got some I got some water, some Mississippi River water, and uh, it's very muddy and you, you let it sit even for 10 minutes and it starts to filter out. And sometimes I'll put, I'll shake it up and I'll set it on my desk and I'll just look at that and I go, this is my, this is my soul. And I can't see, I can't see a, a doggone thing, right? I can't see through that. But if I just sit calmly, quietly in the presence of the Lord, let some things filter out for me, I've got a as you know, as ideas is sort of a popcorn popper in my head, even in the morning, I just write them down. Oh, I got to remember to, you know, I got to call Nick. I got to, I got to get that thing done. I got to answer that email. I got to do, you know, check my text. So I'll just write those things down. And I'll just let my heart settle. It's not prayer time. Uh, it's just, a, it's just a time to sort of settle and, and move into that space where I can hear from God, where I can just, remind myself of his love. And I think, I think anybody can do that. Now, uh, you know, you gotta, you gotta do really hard things if you want to do that. Like you probably have to go to bed at the same time every night. You got to get up when it's still you know, a little quiet and you're not, you know, frantically behind and you don't have a, and I don't have a, you know, a two year old that's, you know, that woke up or a six month old that's crying in the next room. So I don't want to. I don't want to burden any young moms or you know people that are 
their life isn't like mine right now. But I do find that that, you know, that half hour, I spend a, I spend an hour and a half sort of in my devotional routine right now. But again, I'm 59. I'm a pastor. I'm not, I'm not trying to suggest anybody needs to do that. There's a lot of stuff I'm doing there that I wouldn't put on others, but that time of quiet and reflection and understanding that who I am shapes the world of other people is an important thing to understand. Yeah. When we talked about that, about um, doing what you need to do to be the energetic, non-anxious presence, you said, one, you said the main point is you first have to accept the idea that doing what you need to for yourself isn't selfish. There's a selfish way to do it, yep. but but if if everything in, in your life is flowing out of who you are, then it is the most foundational thing. And the f- most foundational thing in your stewardship is you, yep. then everything else. Yeah, it's, And then you, know, you said, yeah, go ahead. Say go more ahead. about that if you want. Well, so I, I would say, I mean, there's an irony here. And so I, I'll, I, can, I can make a parallel. So you stand up to speak on Sunday morning and and you stand up to speak for God. And the only thing more ridiculous than you standing up to speak for God would be for you to stand up and speak for yourself. Like people have shown up to see you hear what Nick thinks. So the same way, it's it's sort of ironic, you have to think through it. So often I would hit the ground running and it's like I need to do this. I need to do this. I need to call this person. I need to make this happen. I need to write this article. I need to do these things. So I need to do all these things. And and now I'm sort of saying, you know, uh, I actually, <laughs> what I need, what people need from me is not me. They need, they need the Lord. And, and that's, that's hard for an activistic kind of person to think and to do and to trust. But there's a sense in which, yeah, I've got to, I've got to do this, and it's not, it's not for my own good, although it is for my own good. But it's for everybody else's good that I am, I am a conduit of the, of the grace and, and wisdom of God, and that's, it's not about me. So yeah, I, I, I think it's helpful to frame this. So when I was at Christ Church, for those listening, which is like 17 years ago, um. Mike was the associate pastor. He was leading a very large national, maybe somewhat international college minister group called the Ivy Jungle. And he was helping to lead an organization which was called Christian International Scholarship Fund, but then changed its name to Servant Leaders. I can't remember. But it was the scholarship organization for those at High Point who know Manohar James. It was like it scholarly leaders. Yeah, it was super important in Manohar James. Um getting his PhD accomplished and doing all the stuff he's doing in India right now and serving also on part-time at high point. Um, so like you were doing a lot of stuff. Was, is there, was there a transformation that's happened over the last 17 years where piety has figured much more greatly into your activism? Or is it this, what you're talking about like well, a few years ago, yeah. like five years ago, this began to take place? Well, I'd say, so, uh, so when I turned, 
when I was about 45, I, I had a, I had a moment in which I decided that I could not, I was now senior pastor at the church and I was still leading the Ivy jungle network and president of scholar leaders. And I said, okay, I, I can't, I don't have the energy to do this anymore. And I'm doing, I'm doing everything suboptimally. But I, I don't, I don't want to say that you can't have a, uh, like no one who, who sees me during the course of the day would say, oh, there's a guy who's quiet and contemplative. The, the quiet and contemplative part sort of comes in the, in the morning. Mm-hmm. And it's when I'm alone. And then, you know, when I go into the office, it's meetings and it's emails and it's phone calls and it's all that other stuff. Mm-hmm. And then I try and knock off a little bit at, at three or so and come home, go for a run, which was also, I think we talked about this during the, the whole COVID time. I had to really ramp up my exercise just to deal with the stress, the early COVID time. Yeah, we'll get to that next. Yeah. And then, and then in the afternoon, in the evenings, I'm reading also. So, so, I don't know that other people would say, um, oh, Mike became more contemplative and pietistic. They would still sort of say, yeah, you know, we're just a little bit of the Energizer Bunny, but that's just his, his DNA. Yeah. But do you, do you feel like emotional sanctification became a bigger part of your life at some point? Or yeah. like, do you think that, yeah. do you think your activism is going better yeah, you know, I'm I'm a little bit um, so some I think some things are stages of life. So I I can't uh, first of all, if you're saying the same things when you're 50 that you were saying when you're 30. When you say them when you're 30, people say, "Wow, you're smart!" and "Wow, look at this," you know, up and coming young leader. If you're still saying them when you're 40, people are starting to think, "Huh." If you're saying them when you're 50, it's sort of like what happened to him? You know, I mean, you know, he didn't, he didn't keep growing. So, so I do think that I have changed and I have matured hopefully, and I've become more Christ-like. I'm less of a doer simply because I'm 59. I just can't, I can't, I'm not 25. <laughs> I'm 59 and I had a stroke, you know, uh, that again, I, I should say I didn't have a stroke. I had a dissection that led to a stroke. My stroke wasn't because of my lifestyle. My stroke was from a freak accident training for a triathlon. But, uh, yeah, emotional sanctification, piety, relying on the Holy Spirit to do things, less impressed with my efforts, all of those things are true. When we talked about trying to get yourself in a position to be that energetic, non-anxious presence, um, you talked about four main areas of practice. I'll list all four and then we can go through them, right? One was just the practices of devotion and worship. Um, the second was practices of rest and bodily care. The third was the practice of rest of enjoyment. You didn't say, you didn't use exactly this language, but like something that mm-hmm. helps you. Like, And then the fourth was the practice of restorative fellowship, like being around a certain group of people who don't need something from you. Yep. Um, but that being with them helps you. Yep. So you want to go through those four. So the, the first is just the practices of devotion and worship. The th- one of the things you said that stood out to me was that um, it not only like keeps up your spiritual fervor and like allows you to have these contemplative moments and sort out your soul, but it also like gets you back in the place where you are dependent on momentary grace. Yep. And so you, you, you're moving through life in a slightly different, with a slightly different edge on you. 
Yeah, I think that's it. I mean, I you know, I'm, I'm preaching. I'm, I'm I do a daily devotion piece, and I and this morning I was speaking about death. I'm going through Hebrews, and I was in Hebrews nine twenty seven. It's pointed a man wants to die, and after that, face judgment. He said, "Look, lots of pe- today, lots of people live as though they're never going to die, and that everybody goes to heaven. And and actually, the opposite is true. Everyone's going to die, and not everyone's going to go to heaven." He said, "And people freak out when." when you talk about these things. In our culture, we don't talk that much about death. So I think you can get to a point where you just, you're not anxious about these things. Like, okay, I mean, I, I, I really believe the tomb was empty and that changes everything. And, and I work hard to be a non-anxious presence. How do I, I say this to, to young leaders, so say this to small group leaders, say this to young staff. Look, your chief job <laughs> is when, Everything's going wrong is that you don't make it worse. Like, I mean, anybody can anybody can take a situation that's on a scale of one to, to 10 with 10 being nuclear meltdown and, and zero being fine. Anybody can take a two and turn it into a six. <laughs> that doesn't take any talent. Yeah. Your job is to your job is to get there when it's a, a four and turn it back into a three. And and yeah. I say it's just it's just a matter of not panicking and, 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 you know, being a non-anxious presence. So, yeah, I think, I think we all need a little bit less stuff going on. So I very practically, let me say, uh, when I was 25 or 26, I started going to bed early and getting up early. I think that has made a huge difference in my life over the last 35 years. And so it does mean I I don't I mean I go to bed at I go to bed at ten and I read novel until I fall asleep at ten thirty or whatever and I get up at five and but I don't I don't watch TV. There's a lot of stuff I just don't know about and I and I I mean it's just, it's you can't do everything and so I just sort of made peace with the fact that I was going to do that because I needed to prioritize that time early in the morning. I've got to have it. If I don't get it. Everybody pays. All right. What about the practices of rest and bodily care? You talked a little bit about um, things like sleeping, uh, yeah. Sabbath, reasonable care of with like things like eating, and yep. then like um, at least moderate exercise. Yep, needs to happen. You know. Yeah, we're you know evangelicals don't do a great job of sort of being holistic on some of these things, and and I think I'm. So I, I take pretty seriously all of those things, uh, especially exercise. To me, that's I, I'm a runner. Lots of lots of pastors are runners. It's sort of a stress management technique. And when mm-hmm. COVID hit and everything was disrupted, I was running. <laughs> I was running more, uh, and I knew. And eventually, I, I knew I'd likely get hurt. Unfortunately, it wasn't very much, but I kept just increasing my mileage because I'm like, Lord, I've got to, you know, I just, I need to keep processing. So eating well, taking care of yourself, diet, exercise, uh, rest, all of those things are critical. Yep. And again, not yeah. selfish. I, I, yeah, I've got to get to the point where I say, for me to go home now at four o'clock and to go for a run is actually part of serving Christ church five years from now. If I don't mm-hmm. do it, 
first of all, I get surly, but secondly, I, I've just, I've got to, I've got to stay in shape. So, yep. Yeah. I've had this issue. I played basketball because you get to fight and run and yeah. um, it's been hard. It's been hard since that stopped because it, that was took such an edge off of me aggression wise yeah. that it's been tough. I've had, I've been doing weightlifting and then some cardio because that helps me get a little bit more aggression out than just running. Um, I just really, I don't like running, yeah. um, but I have teenage daughters now who have to work out. And so like I, I was working out with one of my daughters so I can do a little bit of kid time and work out yeah. together, which is, which has been good, you know? But I think sometimes people are like, when did pastors become health class monitors? But I think it, I think like not just obeying your nervous system and like being lazy, eating whatever you want, pleasing yourself with the television. Like that's all part of self-control, mm-hmm. which is a major part of Christian faith and is necessary to develop in godliness according to like second Peter one, three, five and following. So I, I mean, like, I think pastors should say, Hey, like we need to think about some of this stuff carefully. Okay. The third thing is to practice a certain kind of rest of enjoyment that is like some, doing something that's enjoyable for its own sake, that is not part of your ministry per se, and that you yep. don't have to be a practitioner of your calling to do. Yep. Yep. So again, this is visual, but the, the walls around me are covered with art. They're not worth anything. I, I don't want to suggest otherwise, but I started I used to, in addition to being a runner, I used to play some golf or sail. Uh, after this medical thing, I can't play golf or sail. I got into painting. Yeah, you know, it could be. I mean, it could be woodworking. It could be. I mean, it could be a bunch of different things. But something that is. Uh, I mean, my definite the thing. The reason I loved sailing was because when you were sailing, you know, you're always, you've got to be paying attention to a hundred different things. And it's impossible to keep track of the problems back in the church. Like yeah. you're watching the wind, you're watching the waves, you're looking at other boats, you're trying to figure out what's going on. Is this sail set right? A hobby is where you sort of lose yourself. And um, so I try to engage in, um, you know, I, I try and have hobbies and, uh, and, you know, and then friendships with, with people who don't care what I do. Um, yeah. I mean, I, is that the fourth one? Is that what we said? Yeah, that's the fourth one. Yeah. So people who, and for me, and again, this is, this is perhaps, um, I don't, I don't want to scandalize uh, your small group leaders here, but uh, I have friends, longtime friends. I want friends that could, that, that could care less what I do. As a matter of fact, mm-hmm. the fact that I'm a pastor is uh, they're supportive, but they're not impressed. Like that's, that doesn't mm-hmm. matter. And if I decide I'm going to go back and be a management consultant or I'm just going to write or I'm going to do something else, that doesn't affect anything. And I've got to sort of have people whose who's spiritual well-being does not depend upon me. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, that, that's where the scandalous part might come in, but I, I want to, you know, I've got to be able to be independent. Uh, I've, I've got to be able to be who I am around them. And it's not that I'm fake in any sense. I think I'm remarkably the same everywhere I go, but if you're a young Christian and you're asking me a question, I'm going to answer that differently than if you're my best friend who's asking me a question. Right. So I think we've got to have some of those friendships and relationships and small groups can be great for that. Uh, you know, we've got to have, I, 
Yeah, we've got to have 2 a.m. friends. That's the term I use. Somebody that you could call at 2 in the morning. As a matter of fact, not only could you call them at 2 in the morning if life was coming undone, but they would be not just surprised, but mad that you didn't call. Like, what do you mean that happened? At 2 in the morning and you didn't call me? Like, I thought we were friends. Like, how could you not have called me? So. Everybody's got to have those friends. Yeah. So, uh, and the third thing, the restive enjoyment thing, I think that for me, so I did scuba spear fishing when I was in Florida and it had that same effect. Like you have to pay attention to 50 things. You don't, you're not thinking about church. Yeah. And I found, I have found that whenever I engage in that kind of thing, I have personal realizations rather than church ideas. Hmm. And so yeah. like when I go elk hunting, when I go spear fishing, that kind of thing, I get out of there. And then I, then I, I have that, I have those moments where like, because I'm not thinking about church, I get end up thinking about my life. Mm-hmm. And if, if I do have a moment where I'm like, just nothing's going on and I'll be, and then I'll think about, is it, am I, is my, am I living the life I, I want to live? Am I really where God wants me to be as a person, as opposed to like, how can my church be better? Like, how can I be a better shepherd? How can I be a better pastor and a better steward? And I don't think that happens hardly any other time in my life. Mm-hmm. And I Not think that that's special. Spearfishing is, is an incredibly cool thing to do. So uh, you got that, that. I mean, that was probably part of it. Yeah. I'd always wanted to do it partly because I, yeah, it seemed so cool to me. Yeah. And it was, and you know, when your salary is $32,000 and you have a family of four, um, coming home with a wheelbarrow full of fish meat is not a bad thing. Ah, yeah. okay. Good. So, um, okay. Then practicing rest of fellowship, that whole idea of like, um, people who you're plenty good enough for and they are people you enjoy. You can laugh freely with them. You can be yourself in uh, intercourse is invigorating. Like it's like your, your discussions, your, what you talk about, it's kind of fun, but they're not, they're not mainly picking your brain. Right. And getting your help. They, I'm not, yeah, yeah. I'm their friend. I'm not their pastor. And, and I mean, I, I may be Mm -hmm. their pastor, but I'm not, I'm not their pastor at that moment. Yeah. And and if you're a mm-hmm. if you're a school teacher or if you're a company owner or if you're a engineer and you've got you've got young engineers over, you, that's different than if you're hanging out with a bunch of neighbors and a bunch of friends and yeah, that's that's sort of what I'm saying. It's restorative. Yeah. What what would you say to people like there was one point in our conversation a month ago where you said, "Nick, it's listen, you're just going to have to carry this thing on your back for a while." I mean, like, that's why you have to invest in these things because people are going to be tired. Would you say that same thing to like small group leaders and business owners and dads and moms and that like, look, there's going to be people in your life that aren't going to be able to restore themselves. They're not going to be able to find strength in the Lord. They're going to talk like David's men, like maybe we should just stone you for getting us in this kind of mess. And like, you better, you got to be there because like not everybody is going to be this kind of person. A lot of people are going to be the people that need this kind of person. Yeah, no, I just think that, that that's there are seasons and you can't do it forever, but there are seasons where you're gonna have to just say, Okay, you know what? I've got there there are days that I've written on my calendar bring energy where I just go, Okay, this is probably a low energy moment. I just have to bring energy. I have to give to them or absorb pain, which is sort of the same. Thing. So, as a, I mean, you you know this. Uh, as a pastor, you get uh, credit for things you don't deserve credit for, but you get blamed for things you don't deserve blame for. Uh, and there's mm-hmm. there's times when people come after me and they take cheap shots, and I'm just like, you know what? 
I, I just need to take, I just need to absorb that. <laughs> and I'm not going to defend mm-hmm. myself. I'm not going to tell you that it wasn't me because, wow, Christ has taken a whole lot of cheap shots on my behalf. I can take some cheap shots from other people and just mm-hmm. raise the temperature in the room and help the team by just taking it for the team. Yeah, I think that's part of being a parent, being a leader, being a pastor. I think there's times you got to do that. One of the things that you said in our conversation was you said part part of the idea here is, is that not only are we coming up against um, burnout and you got to be ready like right now, but we're also going to have to play the long game here because just COVID itself could be 18 months-ish or longer and the fallout could be even longer than that. So this, not only do we have to be ready like right now for burnout to hit, but we're going to have to carry this for the long game. How do you like get that kind of non-anxious energetic presence and sustain it over that kind of timetable? Is it just that same stuff every day? It's the discipline of getting in those places and doing those four things. Yeah, I think so. I don't think I've got a whole lot more than that. I've I've had some friends. um, One of the things that was new that has happened since COVID is there's been two other senior pastors of churches that are uh, actually a little bit bigger than Christ Church. We talk every week. And uh, there have been a couple times when everybody's sort of gone down, you know, like, and the other people have got to pick them up and carry them. And we're, we're saying to each other, okay, this is, you know, this could be the next five years. So we can't sprint. We have to come up with a sustainable pace. And that may mean that you take a two-week vacation. One guy, we said, you know what, dude, you got to take a two-week, you got to take a vacation. You got to go do something life-giving. And uh, so some, that might be it. But you, I do think you've got to look and say, how do I keep this going? And we are playing a long game. I, I mean, it's, everybody's waking up and realizing, using the Andy Crouch language, it's, it's clearly this isn't uh, a winter storm. It's turning into a small ice age, and, and we're going to have to – you know, survive that. Yeah. One of the things you said that I, th- I thought was helpful in our conversation, and this is related to some of the stuff you said already, but it's a little bit different point. Um, was that you said, and you said this like about four years ago, you started doing things a little bit differently. But one of the things you said in our conversation was that you realized that the things that you didn't like about your church were all true about you. Is that something you can say more about yeah. publicly or, um, because that resonated with me i shared it with some pastors on a retreat i was on a couple weeks ago weeks ago and they found they were like oh that hurts and is very helpful also yeah well the longer you're at a church the longer you're anywhere if you're the leader if you're the the senior leader the more the organization looks like you so there are a lot of things Mm -hmm. that are that i like about christ church that we do a lot uh, it's got a little bit of an educational or an academic tinge to it. It's got an international feel to it. Those are all things that are sort of true of my life. The, the, re- the way I woke up to this was realizing we were not doing evangelism anymore. And when I stopped to think about it, I thought, you know, at some point as we were growing, I stopped doing evangelism. I was just trying to I was just trying to take people in. Like, how do we, how do we just cope with the people that are showing up? And I thought, when did I? St-? And and then then suddenly that wasn't happening anymore. We weren't growing. We weren't we weren't just having people show up. And so it's like, okay, well, we got to get people into Alpha. Uh, 
we got to get people into this. We got to, and and I realized, you know, I have not been hanging out with my neighbors. I have not been intentional in this stuff. I sort of got overwhelmed by the uh, by the 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 creep of administration and leadership. And so as I'm pushing and telling everybody else, you know, you got to be inviting friends, you got to be doing this, you got to go, you know what? I got no, I got no ability to really say that because I'm not doing it. And so the things where the church was weak, mm-hmm. they were weaknesses in my own life. And I thought, unless I'm a hypocrite, I got to go fix this in my own self first. And uh, and in ways mm-hmm. sort of overtly and covertly, that's going to play out in the rest of the church. So, yeah, if you don't like what you see at the church uh, and you're in charge and you've been there a while, then sort of look in the mirror and say, I got to fix my own life. Yeah. So um, probably some of our listeners, Mike, are kind of feeling like you are um, a little bit of a different creature. Like they're like, he's so disciplined. I can't believe like. What do you, how do you pastor like people who think that they're normal people in these sorts of things? Do you say, you know, this really is just some decisions you make. It's not like this incredibly, but, or do you just say, just approximate, like let the water sit for 10 minutes. That's better than nothing. There's a lot of soul sifting that can happen in 10 minutes and then work up to 15. Like how do you normally help people approach yeah, no, I, th- I think that's right. I mean, first of all, I, d- I don't want to beat people up who are, you know, uh, my wife has the, uh, oh, I'm suddenly drawing a blank. Uh, she has the ministry of lowering expectations. And she says, you know, there's a lot of people who uh, <laughs> she just gives permission. You know what? Uh, I'm going to give you permission to not come to this meeting tonight. I'm going to give you permission to do this. I'm going to give you permission to not do that. I'm going to, and, and, uh, of lowering the bar. She says, you know, everybody gets so uh, sort of worked up in a works righteousness sort of way. And I got to impress people. And I got to do everything. She goes, no, no, I want to, I want to lower the bar and help people uh, think that life is real. So especially if you've got, you know, you got three kids under the age of seven and you're homeschooling them and you're trying to do your off your work and all that stuff, you know, you know that's hard. Your situation is hard. And I try and say to folks, everybody's got to serve. Like if you're a Christ follower, you got to serve. It may just be you're serving your kids. <laughs> I mean, it may be that you're not serving at the church because you're just, you're given, given, given. So understand there are seasons and, and I, we're in a sweet season. We knew that. We, you, know, you, you sort of hit 45 and you go, okay, the next 15 years is the nexus of my energy, network, personal well-being and you know maybe it goes to 70 but but if you're in that 30 to 45 category you're working hard with family stuff so so look for the wins that's 10 minutes yeah what if you got up 15 minutes earlier and you just had five minutes of sitting still and and you read a psalm and you read a devotion and uh you know, that's all you're going to get. Maybe you get another break at, you know, 10 in the morning or something. Um, maybe you can only work out three days a week, but you're, you're just trying to, I mean, I'll say this. When people think their life is out of control and you want to look for an hour here or there, the easiest place to get an hour is usually to turn off the TV. <laughs> and that's usually the, the quickest win. Anytime, by the way, I just saw a study again this week. Anytime you're looking at a screen, 
you're losing energy. So it's sort of like if it's your if it's your iPhone, if it's a TV, if it's a laptop, you're probably losing energy. And uh, so some of those things I need, but walking away from the TV and deciding I'm going to take a walk or I'm going to read a book or I'm going to do, you know, hang out with the kids, that's going to be more life-giving. So I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to produce guilt here. I'm in an easy phase of life. Yeah. Yeah. We, we did an initiative a little while back where we were trying to get a number of volunteers to go to a particular elementary school to read with kids, just help them with their reading. And I was really disappointed because everybody who volunteered was like, you know, there were like 10 old people and then not like a, a couple of people in their twenties. And then that was it. And I, I felt bad about that. And then as time went on, I was like, you know, these are the people who have time for this. Yeah. Like retired people are like the best possible people for this. Yep. And that's why I need to target instead of expecting a mom of three kids who works 30 hours a week to yep. like find a time to go to the school during the school day. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And yep. once I changed my expectations, it helped me. And I, and I, I try to say to folks, you know, look, um, it gets easier. Like literally there's a day when the last kid leaves <laughs> and you look at each other like, Oh my goodness. And I, I remember the first time, Remember when Sherry dropped Jason off at kindergarten and so for the first time she, you know, didn't have a kid at home in the last, you know, whatever, 12 years. And I remember when we sat down across from each other for dinner and it's just the two of us. And I'm like, where, where, where is everybody? And she's like, well, Austin's in college. Ben and Jason have football practice. I'm like, really? She goes, tonight, tomorrow night, every night this week. We, we, we ate our food as quickly as we could and ran out to the golf course. We're like, we can't believe this. Life gets easier. For most of us, life gets easier when, when kids move on. And, and I don't want to bury the people that are already buried. Mm -hmm. And it like spend time with your kids when they're at home. Like yeah. it's, yeah. I mean, quiet times are so that when you're with your kids, you'll be a better person. In, in Christ and they'll see a better disciple. And so that's th no substitute for it. I've, I've just struggled with that. Like I'm in that life stage right now where I have four children at home. One's about to graduate. I, I go, my kids go all the way down to seven years old and I feel like I can't do all of these things every day. Yep. And like some days I work out, I don't connect with everybody in my family deeply, meaningfully every day. Like yesterday I connected with three of my kids really well, but not one of them and not my wife. And Lexi's like, that's fine. She's like, you just got to, sometimes you got to rotate through things. And so I sleep a little longer, two days. I work out three days. I have really good quiet times, like three days a week. And then a couple other days I meet people for breakfast for restorative fellowship. Like, I mean, I, I'm just, I, it's, it's when they say juggling, I'm juggling, but I'm not juggling more balls than I can juggle. Right. Like, yes, I have to move them around. But I, to quote John Wesley, I try to be in haste, but not in a hurry. You know what I mean? But it is that mm -hmm. life stage is like, I feel so packed in that it's hard to, to do it all. So I just don't do it all. Yep. Some of it is intermittent. Yep. Um, Mike, I don't have any more questions right now for you. I feel like that was a, a good dose for people. Do you have any kind of last words for people? Um ministering to others or living their lives through the COVID thing and this year and the fun election we have coming up and the debate tonight. And like, there's, we're just living in really interesting times for most people. And um, 
Do you have yeah. any last words for him? Well, um, yeah, I suspect that this will be a time we're going to look at. Um, I'm, I just was setting up a podcast today with uh, two older pastors to talk about how to pastor through this election, uh, not thinking about who's going to win or politics, but it's a moment. And I think we, uh, we want to, I guess I, I would say to your, say to your leadership and all the others, you know, the good news is the tomb is empty. God loves you. And uh, yeah, look for, look for little wins over time. So um, appreciate you, Nick. Hope this is helpful to somebody. So um and fill up a mason jar full of uh, full of uh, Mississippi water. By the way, I got Lake Michigan water. I done some with snow, and I, I gave I gave this I gave these jars to I've handed them out to fifty guys, maybe a hundred. And one guy came back. He's the CEO of a Fortune five hundred company. You know, probably making seven well into seven digits a year. And he says, "This is the best gift I've gotten in like five years." <laughs> I said, "Well." <laughs> 30 cents just for the record. So, um, yeah, we'll leave it there. Yeah. Well, Mike, thanks so much for being here. Our guest today has been Mike Woodruff, Senior Pastor of Christ Church Lake Forest. Uh, I hope that you guys got a lot out of it, and uh, we'll see you next time. listening to this episode of the Engage and Equip podcast. If you have a podcast idea or a question you'd like answered on the podcast, send us an email at podcast at highpointchurch.org. You can find more episodes online at highpointchurch.org slash podcast. You can also find us on most podcast apps like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Overcast. If you are listening on a podcast app, hit subscribe to get notified of future episodes. We hope this episode was helpful to you as you grow in becoming a more substantive disciple and a part of the local church. If this episode was helpful to you, rate or review us on Apple Podcasts or share this episode with a friend. Those are some of the best ways we have to reach new listeners. Until next time, thanks for listening to this episode of Engage and Equip.